Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. When he was just a child, Ken Yeager made a vow that one day he would start a business that would make the world a better place. That sense of mission not only spurred him to found Morningstar Senior Living, it has also proven to be good for business. In 2019, the company partnered with major real estate developer Heinz on a pipeline of projects, and it was the shared values between Morningstar and Heinz that has cemented the relationship, Jaeger believes. Today, Denver-based Morningstar operates nearly 30 communities and is working with Houston-based Heinz on a pipeline that could potentially add another 10 to 15 communities in Texas, the Rocky Mountain region, and as far west as California. In this episode of Transform, Jaeger discusses how the partnership with Heinz came about, why he advises building smaller than market studies propose, how he's collaborating with other senior living providers, and why he calls on other leaders to think bigger about how they can use their influence to do good. Before we hear that interview, I'd like to tell you about two upcoming senior housing news events, Dished and Build. Our culinary event, Dished, is on March 12th in Chicago. This annual event hosts 200-plus attendees in food service, culinary operations, and senior living management across the continuum. The full-day event will have speakers from across the country, food, hospitality, and a full serving of fun. Then, on May 6th, SHN presents Build, a full-day event featuring thought leaders and C-suite executives discussing the future of development in senior living. Network with owners, operators, developers, investors, architects, designers, and more at this event dedicated to the trends shaping the future of senior housing development. For more information on these events, visit SeniorHousingNews.com forward slash events. And now my interview with Ken Yeager, founder and CEO of Morningstar Senior Living. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Well, Tim, it's an honor to be here, speaking with you and your great team and your outstanding audience. Wonderful. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, As I've been talking to CEOs in senior living recently, one common refrain I've been hearing is that senior housing communities have become too vanilla is a word I hear, or cookie cutter is a phrase I hear. I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, yeah. Great question. And um, I'd say not necessarily, you know, right out of the gates. I think our developers and architects and interior design companies have, have taken a decisive lead on that to be upbeat, modern, contemporary designs to attract uh, new residents that appeal not only to the residents themselves, but to their adult children. And, and with, but with that said, I mean, there's a fine line between designing to the future needs of the seniors and still gratifying the taste of our current residents who are part of the greatest generation. So I want to zero in on what you said about there's a fine line between sort of pushing toward the future and innovating in the model and also providing what the market wants today. I'm interpreting that to mean that there is, even if you think that there's not sort of a chronic problem in in the industry with every senior housing community being too similar, that you are, there is a need to keep pushing forward and bringing new and exciting things to the market. So keep Morningstar trying to do to shake things up and bring those new and exciting things uh, to the market. Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, we are adapting to the new contemporary design by catering to the younger uh, future senior, while at the same time, you know, paying attention to the needs of today's senior, right? Our designs, they need to be cutting edge from rooftop bars, areas with workout facilities, with spas, et cetera, and open spaces with generous courtyards 
where multiple activities can be held. Uh, we, but we focus a lot on resident interaction in our spaces, you know, complete with large-scale activity areas and not just the smaller ones. Because today's seniors are, you know, they're an active lifestyle-type person, and it's important that we have offerings so they can continue on with their current activities, you know, to stay connected to the community at large. We want to make sure that they're getting out to the Performing Arts Center and the Broadway shows and art and history museums and outdoor activities like hiking and golf and that kind of thing. And I'll tell you a real quick story. I was at my golf club the other day on the driving range and I looked up and hear somebody say, hey, Ken, I look and there's one of my one of my residents in one of my homes with his wife hitting a bucket of balls. And I, we had a great laugh about it. And they're getting ready for to play in a senior tournament here in the greater Denver area. So, but there again, that's that fine line is, you know, it's grandma's house, right? And grandma wants to sit down and she wants to relax in a nice uh, Floppy sofa, put her feet up and have a cup of tea. You really have to look out for the individual needs of the residents who grow up during the Great Depression and those that are coming out and they're more vibrant and active. So you got you to have both. Great. And you just announced a partnership with Heinz, the big real estate developer. The work you're doing together is part of this effort to bring something new to the market. Can you talk about maybe the backstory on partnering with Heinz? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, the Heinz Corporation is, I mean, they are a world-class organization uh, headquartered out of Houston. And, and uh, one of our um, real estate developers, I mean, they're, they're just one of the best real estate developers in the U.S. and, and around the globe. And, and uh, we've been extremely blessed to have joint venture with some of really good development companies. Uh, That's just what we do, joint venture. I mean, with Confluent here in Denver and Swenson out in the West Coast and, and now with Heinz and, and, and a few other ones. They have become an important part of our our future as we expand our senior housing platform. And and Gerald Hines, you know, the founder, he's a, he's successful beyond conventional comprehension. It's just outstanding. I mean, he has built a legacy that uh, will be hard to duplicate, and one that uh, joint venture partners like Morningstar are proud to be part of. Uh, under the Hines platform, projects are you know they're going to move forward under the values established by by Gerald Hines and. Integrity is everything to him and their organization. Uh, there are no shortcuts. You know, quality is going to be paramount, and it's all about a long-term relationship, long-term play with them. So, about two years ago, yeah, uh, we got introduced to them by uh, another uh, real estate partner of ours, and so we flew to their corporate headquarters in Houston, and and we had what I call a, a family meeting. It was really get to know each other to see if our core values aligned. And then subsequent meetings led to our current partnership. And at the end of the day, it was all about alignment, not just on the financial side of the business, but our mutual interest in serving in senior housing about our core values and overall mission that led to our partnership. And I mean, you can have all the skill set in the world, but um, you know, if your core values and worldviews aren't in alignment, you know, you're going to have troubles down the road. So I'm excited about uh, changing the way people view senior housing with the ingenuity of as Heinz as our partner. And, you know, we don't know what the future holds. We may do one property with them or a dozen or, or more. We're, we're, we're going to be very uh, selective in our site uh, uh, selections like we do the rest of our partners. And um, if they're, they're just great folks to be uh, joined up with. Great. I'm wondering if you can uh, maybe address, because I'm just thinking that a company the size and sophistication of Heinz, I'm sure they could basically have had their pick of the litter in terms of existing sort of best-in-class operating partners to work with. So maybe this is more of a question for Heinz, but to the extent you can answer it, 
What do you think they saw in Morningstar? What was that strong alignment that cemented uh, the relationship specifically between Heinz and your company? Yeah, I think there were two things. First and foremost, they, they were looking for a core value. They did a lot of work on us, a lot of, checked a lot of our references, checked our website. Our website really tells a story about who we are and a lot of testimonials there. They visited our properties. And then it really was that face-to-face meeting with their team for several hours and going to dinner with them. And it, it's all about alignment of liked interest and like core values. And when they studied us, they, they spoke with you know Matt Turner, my managing partner, and myself. They are very, very keen on who it is that they're doing business with, that there is a long-term, basically, friendship there. And because that develops into trust. You know, it's kind of like a marriage. You have to trust your spouse. And, and that's, that's the way that they looked at things. And then they were looking for financial alignment. You know, they, they weren't interested in the third-party management structure. So the financial alignment that Morningstar likes to have, you know, as they say, skin in the game is, is something that was of interest to theirs. They just felt that there'd be greater ownership there. So those, those were the two primary reasons and, um, you know, our track record of building Class A assets because everything they do is the best. And they wanted to make sure that we weren't going to cut corners anywhere, that we wanted to build um, Class A quality projects. Well, maybe this is a good time to ask a question that I think we were planning to maybe hold for the end, but we've been talking about the mission alignment so much. And so it seems like a good place to ask you about your mission statement, which is on your website. And there's a phrase in there that says, honor God as part of that mission statement. And I think that's a little unusual for a for-profit company to have that. Obviously, we see some version of that a lot on the nonprofit side of the business. The decision to include that phrase in the mission statement and is that something that causes, you know, raises eyebrows at all in the for-profit world? Uh, you know, it really isn't. Uh, that's just kind of, you know, who I am. That's the, the core of my foundation, my worldview. And, and, and it really started uh, where that came from was the naming of the company is, you know, some 16 years ago now. When I found the company, it's kind of like when you have a child, you need, you, you need to name your child. And, and I needed to name the company and it just couldn't come up with the name. And, and one day I was, you know, down in my office, in my study, and I was reading the Bible, and I was in there in Revelations, right there in Revelations twenty two sixteen, uh, that verse says that I Jesus have sent my angel, to give you this testimony for the churches that I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And then I read that verse. I thought, my goodness, how powerful would it be to name your company after Christ Himself? And and so I did a little research on that name, and, and morning star really means. Uh, the bringer of light, which led to our tagline of casting a new light. And, you know, and, you know, we're not looking for saints to work for us. Matter of fact, we don't use uh, Christianity as a litmus test to work for us. You know, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. So, but what we do require is that you're on board with our core values. And there isn't a religion in the world or any employee in the world that, that argues what's our core values. And so that's really what's important to us, that our core values of love, kindness, honesty, goodness, fairness, respect, are an inherent value of, of yourself. And if, if, and if that is who you are, then that attracts that type of person to work for Morningstar. And at every one of my grand openings, you know, I'll quote that scripture, I'll talk about who it is that we are, that, that we don't discriminate against any form of religion. Uh, regardless of what faith you come from or no faith at all, we want to honor your spirituality. 
And that's part of honoring God is to do the right thing all the time with our team members, our residents, our staff, our vendors, our referral sources, our family members. And I'll tell you, I get unequivocally, you know, a hundred to one people who honor what we're doing versus those that may have an issue in today's um, society that, you know, don't want to quite mention the word God. But, you know, the way I see it, it's something that is out there in the world and our company was founded on it. You, you reach in your back pocket, pull out a dollar bill or a $20 bill, and right there it says, in God we trust. And, you know, we go to a ball game and we all stand up and sing, you know, God bless America. So uh, we're just honoring that, and it's important to me. And um, it, it is really the rock and the foundation of who we are. So, yeah, that's fit in with with, with Heinz and many of our other partners and, and seniors who come to live with us. So another... Uh concern that I've heard in some recent interviews is about sort of how the financials break down in senior housing. So I'm wondering what you think about this issue, specifically what some people are seeing as an imbalance maybe between the fact that real estate developers make a fantastic return often if a project goes well, obviously, but then I'm hearing more sort of concern that operators, the operating companies are perhaps undercapitalized. Do you think this is a problem? You know, I think it's a valid concern. I, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, there's 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 really two types of operators in our space, and you know, those that work strictly for a management fee plus incentives uh, for hitting predetermined targets, and and then those who have equity in each deal and participate, you know, parapsu on the real estate returns plus the management fee. And you know, generally speaking, those with equity in in each deal are pretty firmly capitalized uh, due to their fees on the real estate side and, and the management fees. And then when it comes to recap and sell the property, and it's certainly up to the management fee-based companies, as as it is with equity-based management companies, to to budget accordingly. And as far as I know, you know, the most companies uh, do a pretty good job there of ensuring that uh, they are balanced in that arena. And 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 I personally have not heard of any management companies being in financial trouble or distress. But uh, nonetheless, it's something to keep an eye on. And you know, it will be important going forward that debt and equity partners uh, keep fees stable uh, so that everyone is aligned and and success is shared from all sides. Great. I'm wondering if there's any sort of conventional wisdom in the senior living industry that bothers you or that you disagree with. Well, <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I, yeah, probably one thing, and I'm probably in the minority on this one. Not on my, a lot of my peers probably agree with me, but nonetheless, I'm perhaps I'm a little old school in my thinking here, but I haven't jumped on the bandwagon uh, to eliminate the word senior from our company name or from our literature, um, you know, from the seniors I know and have been around. Uh, they are proud to be called seniors for hitting such a milestone. Uh, I mean, babies are babies and toddlers are toddlers and teenagers are teenagers and young adults are young adults. And, you know, father time has mercy on no one. So when when you age, you become a senior. And in my book, it's a title and a position of honor you know, one that should be respected throughout the ages. So for now, you know, we have Morningstar and we'll, we'll stay with the word senior. It'll stay in our name. That's just who we are. That's, that's who we love on. And we respect that, that title. And, and other than that, I, I think we as an industry have done a pretty good job on staying in the forefront of changing with the times to accommodate all generations. But um, yeah, that's one that, uh, you know, people go back and forth on is should we eliminate the word senior from our vocabulary and I'm just not there yet because of I spent a lot of time with them and, and 
a lot of them enjoy that title. So that's that's where I'm at. Got it. So uh, Dave Schles, the president of ASHA, recently told me that he thinks this is the hardest operating environment ever, maybe, for senior living providers. Uh, and he cited workforce challenges, new competition, uh, the need to adjust to the boomers that are you know, the future consumer for the product. Do you agree about the level of difficulty in the operating environment? And how has Morningstar been doing just in terms of occupancy, margins, the, the basic uh, metrics? Yeah, I'll tell you what, David is correct. Um, there's a there's a lot to consider here. You know, every era uh, has its difficulties, right? I mean, I certainly wouldn't uh, not want to have the struggles that our current generation of seniors had growing up during the 1930s or, or or during the World Wars or even even you know as recently as the 1980s with the financial crisis. Um, but with that said, I mean, the issues of today are are real and. And they need our full attention with unemployment rates hovering around 2% in some states. Employees have options and leadership is, is more important now than ever. Designing a career with purpose uh, for our team members so that we can uh, compete with other industries such as banking and hotels and restaurants, just to name a few, it's critical. You know, although the need for uh, senior housing, and, but I, but I, do, I think as far as development and growth goes, you know, although the need for senior housing in the next 20 years is going nowhere but up, our biggest challenge is monitoring the development. I mean, us as an industry, uh, you know, we can't build all the homes now that we will need in the next 20 years. It's not going to work. So we as an industry have to grow at an intelligent pace. I mean, banks and equity sources need to be wise when a, when a developer comes to them with a great site. I mean, after all, everybody has a great site and no missed site, right? I mean, and some have 20 or 30 or 40, but it's it's best to pull back and to be disciplined with site selection and unit count per property, or, or we're all going to be in trouble with, with um, occupancies and operate margins. Because I think, you know, margins are going to fluctuate if overbuilding continues. And, it, you know, it's best to be conservative with your performance as you write those and, and don't oversell to the investment group. Uh, you know, build with the notion that, that someone's going to build down the street, whether there is room for them or not. And, um, you know, I'd really advise people to, to scrutinize third-party market studies and go with about half of what they say you should go with. So um, so the problems are real. And it's through great organizations like, like yours and Nick and Argenum and Asha, where we all can come together to solve these issues. And, you know, one of the things I'm doing is, you know, is I'm getting together with another senior leader, another CEO and his company, and, and we're bringing our senior leadership teams together. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about best practices for two days and discuss the issues that we're facing in each of our firms. And, and we're doing this to learn and grow from each other and to stay ahead of the issues at hand and, and, and really work together. So I, I think that's we're really looking forward to that and really help solve some of these issues that uh, are at the forefront of our industry. Interesting. Can you say what company that is that you're going to get together with? Sure. It's, and I'm happy because um, it's going to be down south. We're going to Vero Beach to meet up with uh, Tim Smick and his great organization down there. And he's based in Vero. And when you're from Colorado, I said, Tim, I'm coming your way uh, to work with his firm and, and his great leader, Sarah Beth. She's an awesome uh, CEO there. And um, we're, we're going to I said, Tim, there's a requirement we need to have dinner on the beach because uh, it's cold <laughs> up here. Matter of fact, it's snowing today. We're going to look forward to that here in a few weeks. 
Great. That's interesting. We we actually just ran a story about this phrase co-opetition, cooperative competition instead of um, sort of cutthroat competition. And it's something that we're seeing a little bit more clearly on the nonprofit side. But I think it was maybe Lana Peck from Nick uh, talked to us for the story. And she said she thought for-profit providers could be doing more of that as well. And it sounds like this is learning from a, a sort of peer organization. Is that fair to say that you think um, this is something that, you, obviously you expect to get something out of it. Do you think that this could be done more often on the for-profit side of the business? I think it should be. You know, I mean, in fact, I just talked to Tim this morning on another matter and, and uh, we shared ideas and, you know, it, it, I think that you should choose wisely. And although, man, I tell you, I could name 15 great CEOs you know, right now, I'd love to spend time with them and their team with ours. And But, you know, Tim's company in particular has great core values and alignment with ours. So there, there'll be um, some great things coming out of it where we can really build upon each other. And But I think more companies should do that. I know they're, when you come to go to the conventions, they, they try to do that on a larger scale. But maybe that's an idea for, for uh, whether it's Asha or, or Nick or try to get uh, companies together when their senior leaders are there and share operational ideas and really head off problems before they, before they get to you. So yeah, I'd like let, certainly like to see more of it. On the sort of monitoring new development question, well, I guess one, one quick follow-up is you said, look at the market studies and do half of what they say. When you say half, is that make build your community half the size that they say that they recommend? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I've never read a market study where they say that there's too much building. I mean, everybody, they always say, you know, there's room for a thousand more units when you know there isn't. And, you know, I, I don't know. I want to be careful here. I want to throw them under the bus. I'm sure they've got their metrics that they're leaning on, but it never seems to turn out that way. So you just it's got to be cautious. What, what we do is we do our own internal market studies, right? Matt and I, we still kick the tires. We still walk the dirt. We still do our comp analysis. And then if, if we feel good about it, then we'll engage the third-party market study that kind of tells what we already know because the banks require that, right? So I, I would really advise that you do your own first. And then if you feel comfortable with it, then engage that, that firm. And, and hopefully they, they, they back up and they should or else you should engage them. If you don't feel comfortable with it, then don't do it. So really rely on your own data before you pull the trigger. And that's just really important to us. So two major topics this year have been the rise in active adult development and the need for a more scalable middle market senior living product. Is Morningstar looking at playing in either the active adult or more in the middle market? Yes and no. I think uh, active adult certainly is getting a lot of talk these days. And I think it's too early to see if it will be a, a successful product or not. I, I mean, you just can't just jump into something without studying demand for it or understanding the product. And I mean, most of the active adult is catering to the senior in their 70s who are looking for, you know, the downsize their life and enjoy meaningful activity. And but on the other hand, I mean, the Dell Web product's been around forever, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's done a nice job. And they've actually been designing active adult spaces for years on a for sale product with club-like amenities such as health clubs and golf courses and the such. And so actually, it's not you know all that new of a concept, but it's the rental apartment style uh, adult product that is getting all the talk at the moment. So you know we'll see what happens. The future holds, but as for Morningstar, um, we'll stay disciplined on what we do well, and um, 
whether active adult fits into our plans in the future, you know, that will tell. And as far as the middle market product, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, different product altogether from, from what I understand there's a, is there's a need for a middle market product and it's just not our design at the moment or our market that we have chosen to venture into. And another maybe concern or idea that's been kicked around, I think, is the potential for disruption from companies outside of the traditional bounds of the industry, even some big players like Amazon. Are you worried at all about that kind of disruption? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, I mean, probably from a product delivery basis or maybe even medicine delivery, but, uh, but not from the care component. I think uh, you know, senior living is a high-touch industry one that requires heart and the human touch, you know, real relationship and real conversation. And no amount of innovation or technology will replace the human spirit. Perhaps it will enhance it along the way, uh, but never replace it. I mean, unless Amazon gets into the staffing business, which you know, I wouldn't put it past them, they're, they're into everything else, but I think our industry is safe from a takeover. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to deliver, to deliver care in a little brown box in your doorstep. So I, I think we're safe. And another way that Morningstar uh, kind of reminds me of a, a nonprofit, at least when you're looking at the website, is the attention. Star Foundation, I know, you know, uh, certainly other for-profits have foundations, but uh, the prominence of the Morningstar Foundation and the kind of interesting projects you're doing, I think, are notable. How did you get involved in these far-flung projects in places like Nicaragua and Ethiopia? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it actually started uh, when I was about five years old. You know, my mother grew up in uh, in her younger years in a, in an orphanage in Juarez, Mexico. And uh, when I was a child, she used to take me across the border to show show me what poverty was like with my brothers and sisters, and and it made a dramatic impact on my life. And I made a vow to God at that time that you know one day when I grew up, you know, I was going to start a business and and give a large percent of my profits to the poor. But it's you know become much more than giving of my income. It's 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 become a daily, active involvement in serving those around us who are, have great needs. Whether it's in your own in our own senior housing communities or in our neighborhoods, inner city or or across the world. You know, in my early years of business, I, I would I used to return to Juarez where where my, where my mother grew up, and 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 I would help build homes in the poorest colonials of West Juarez and. And from there, about 12 years ago, an elderly gentleman asked uh, asked me to go along with him. He wanted to go visit his daughter and her husband, who were down in Nicaragua repairing homes when Hurricane Felix had just swept across that country and destroyed the eastern coast. And on that trip, I met up with a, a man and his wife, uh, Pastor Earl Bowie, and his wife, Damaris, and who had taken in dozens of children off the streets who were left abandoned in Nicaragua due to the national disasters and poverty in the area and the civil war that was going on there. And, you know, many children were left hungry and homeless and need of shelter. And so they were, they were held up like in this warehouse looking type building with holes in the roof, no AC, one bathroom for 60 children. Um, the place was dark and gloomy and kids were sleeping three to four to a worn out mattress in the rafters of the building with little hope. And Pastor Earl, you know, he, he was doing all he could with the little resources that he had to put a meal on the table, let alone a decent roof over their heads. And, and he was, you know, trying to bring them comfort uh, to those kids in his care. He was a great man of love and devotion. But, I mean, I, I came back to Denver, got my nice car and drove to my nice home, and I couldn't get that image out of those kids out of my mind. So I just decided to do something about it. I took about a dozen men 
from my church down to this village called Porta Cabeza, and we took our tool belts and our hammers and everything else that we could get across the border. For the, and for the next three years, we built these children a beautiful home, like a dormitory-style house that they could be proud of. And it was complete with running water and restaurants and ceiling fans, screened-in windows, new beds and blankets. And, and then from there, we added on a kitchen, study hall, vocational center and clinic, and on and on. And, you know, we keep going back. Now, tons of families, have, and my company's gone down there, and other CEOs have actually uh, joined me with their some of their key staff. And... Um, so, you know, the kids are flourishing now. They're going to school. Uh, many are going to higher education, becoming doctors and teachers and carpenters and, and the like. And matter of fact, that one of the very first orphans out of there uh, actually went on to medical school, became an MD, and he's back in the village as the village doctor. And, you know, so, you know, the Bible says, given it will be given to you in, in a full measure, pressed down, overflowing. And, and we certainly have experienced this overflow and the blessings from helping these children just through peace and joy and contentment and be, being a servant leader. So, you know, when you when you walk the path of poverty, you become a true servant leader and, and you experience true joy of serving others. So from there, um, you know, Matt Turner, my business partner, got involved with a company called Lifewater. And they are a world-class organization and they drill water wells. Matt climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money and and uh, so they drill water wells in such places as Ethiopia, Tanzania, Uganda. And we're in the midst of a massive uh, fundraiser campaign right now to purchase three new water rigs, uh, one for each of these countries. And you can learn more about that if you want. You can just go on the website of lifewater.org forward slash Morningstar and you'll see what we're up to there. And, you know, and I personally went over there to Ethiopia with my son and daughter this past March to see the crisis firsthand. And it's simply amazing. I mean, 1,400 kids die every single day, shocking, from drinking unclean water. Everything's preventable, 100% preventable. So you see this travesty firsthand, you get involved. And so that's, that's kind of what happened. And, uh, you know, I, I really like Simon Sinek, who wrote this book called Start With Why a, a few years back. You know, why do you do what you do? I mean, well, at Morningstar, we serve seniors so that we can, so that they can live a vibrant, rich life, right? But we also serve seniors so we can take the profits and serve the poor around the world. And so we have a volunteer program where all of our employees can voluntarily donate out of their paycheck through payroll deduction to the water wells or the orphanage. And it's shocking what's going on with, with our team members. A very high percentage of our team members uh, give, it, give maybe even $2 a paycheck. And it all adds up, and we're saving lives together. And then I walk into my homes, and I'll tell you, I have dishwashers and housekeepers, and they're coming up, and they're, the first thing they ask me is, how are the kids in the orphanage doing? How are, are, we have, do they have enough money for the food? And how are the water wells coming along in Ethiopia? And so our purpose is serving, is, to serving the poor is contagious, and, and we have collectively uh, discovered that, that our title and our position and our money is good when it is used to help others. Great. You know, I'm really interested in your own personal story. And it reminded me that I just read an interesting interview that Dwayne Clark, the uh, founder of Aegis Living, uh, gave to Entrepreneur Magazine. And he wrote about his own, he, he talked to them about his own childhood and the poverty he experienced. And he said, entrepreneurs share one thing, they're trying to run as fast as they can away from poverty. It creates rocket fuel for them to be successful. With that, or have a similar orientation as Dwayne? 
Yeah, I mean, Dwayne's doing great things. He really is making a difference in the world in many different arenas. And, and I haven't read that. It must have just come out. But um, if I understood it right, I think that, it, you know, and, and I don't want to misquote him, but if he was talking about if you had poverty in your own life, which it sounds like he did, and, and I know I certainly did, and probably a lot of your audience did, you kind of use that as motivation to be successful to serve others. And, and I'm knowing Dwayne, that's probably what he was talking about. And, and that's how many great athletes are great athletes, right? They, you know, they, they just use their, their will and their strength and their God-given talent to be successful to, to serve others. And I've seen that firsthand. So, yeah, I, I certainly agree with that in, in our, our motivation in our company, the purpose to start with the why, why do we do with what, what you know, what are you going to do with what you got, so to speak, is, it's all about to serve others. And if you focus there, then all of a sudden your problems become a little bit less. And it's not woe is me, but how can I help others? And if I can ask you a question, just to get you in some trouble, I'm curious from uh, your family background, what you make of sort of immigration policy right now, especially given that I know it's a matter of policy concern for senior housing, given the role that immigrants play in the workforce. What I think about the current immigration policy, was that, that the question? Yeah. Or what do you think, how do you think it needs to change if it does to support uh, both immigrants, but also the needs of, of industries like senior housing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we got to just put more money into the infrastructure to make sure that when people want to come in, into the United States, that they, that they come in and you know, follow certain policy and certain laws and, and if we could, it sounds like we just need more help on the border to get that accomplished. I mean, you try to come across and it takes you three years to get a visa or to get your paperwork. I mean, nobody has that kind of patience. And so I would focus there on getting more administrative work down on the border to ensure that, that people who want to come are coming for the right reasons and we can get them across quicker. Because we certainly are the beautiful, beautiful people and, and, and we want to help and people come across to live, you know, the life over here that they deserve and, and then go back home and help their families. I know a lot of people do that, uh, who are here to make money, to, to help their families back home. And we got to figure out a way to do that simpler and easier. I mean, to, to have just open the borders and let everybody come across without any fact check, I, I think is a mistake. I don't think we want to do that. Countries have tried that have failed and, yeah, a lot of work to be done there. I'll tell you what, it's a crisis right now. Yeah. So if tomorrow you were to sit down with two or three of your peers, other CEOs in senior living, people who you really respect, what would you want to talk about with them? <laughs> that's, that's a great question because uh, I, I love the, the CEOs are in this industry, just bright minds. And, you know, uh, this past May in, in, in Fortune magazine ran an edition titled The World's 50 Greatest Leaders. All right, so that, that was just a great magazine and great title. And, and the number one leader in their research was Bill and Melinda Gates. And I was reading that article, and they were selected number one, not because they are the wealthiest couple in the world, but because of what they do with their position of influence and what they do with their wealth. I mean, their work over the past 20 years is mind-blowing, and it has helped transform the lives of hundreds of millions of people and will surely affect billions more if the research they're doing funding now helps prevent like 
they're trying to cure AIDS, they're multi-drug resistant TB, malaria, neglected, you know, tropical diseases, you know, bringing clean drinking water to millions of people and, you know, medicine for simple issues like the flu that we take for granted. And, it, you know, it's going to help immeasurably more if, if they're, if the work they're doing to help empower women, provide sanitation, you know, boost agriculture, and just list this goes on and on and on. And Melinda Gates was asked, she was asked, what was the, what do you think the most pressing issue of our time is? Her answer was ending poverty in the world, right? And, and so the power of their leadership is changing the world. They, they are an incredible role model. They bring the kind of infectious optimism that, that these are, that there's problems that can be solved. The Gates would say, you know, we, we have to believe in what's possible. It, it, it's not, and I don't think it's a naive optimism. It's, it's a realistic optimism. I've seen it for myself. And I, 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 where I've been to dozens of underdeveloped countries, walked in the poorest areas in the world, and they're trying to envision a future, a better future, just as we as leaders envision the future of where our company and our missions are going, right? And, but for them, it's a mission that, that all lives have equal value, regardless of where they were born. So I think we as leaders, you know, we need to come alongside them and do the same. You know, let's work together to move this mountain called poverty, you know, one child, one village, one country at a time. I mean, and there is this, there's this great scripture in the book of Matthew, right there at the 17th uh, chapter, the 20th verse that says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, I believe what Bill and Melinda Gates believe. Any mountain can be moved, even the one called poverty or hunger or injustice. We just, you know, we have enough, if we have enough people shoveling, we'll move the mountain. So I, so what question would I have for my fellow peers? The same question I think Bill and Melinda Gates ask when they are surrounded by monumental world problems. What do we do next and then do it? And, uh, you know, let, let's get our teams on board with the thousands and thousands of team members that this great industry has. You know, we can circle the wagons. Uh, we can do some wonderful things in this world. So it's exciting to be part of this industry and, and, and the, my fellow uh, peers that are out there changing the world. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Great. Well, I think that is a wonderful note to uh, end on. So thanks so much for taking the time to chat. You got it. Have a blessed day, and we'll look forward to talking with you again. And that does it for this episode of Transform. Don't forget to follow our two upcoming events, Dished and Build, online at seniorhousingnews.com forward slash events. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks for listening. <laughs>